A new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two to three times the global average. It will be very difficult, not impossible, for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you with us today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show today as we celebrate Earth Day and the one-year anniversary of South of Two Degrees. So my friends, once more, into the fray. Welcome back, and let me begin by saying, Happy Earth Day. I know we are at the tail end of it, but I'm sure it was impactful and you all marked it in your own way. Now, we wanted to release this episode a little late as we closed down the celebration, as the goal here at South of Two Degrees is not a one and done, rather encouragement to go out and create the change you want to see in the world. Earth Day for us is a beginning to take stock each year of what we have accomplished to set our priorities and lay out our goals for the year ahead and commit to making a series of small but incremental gains. As many celebrated this week around the globe, here at South of Two Degrees, we were especially excited as it's our one-year anniversary. And while South of Two Degrees was founded on Earth Day 2020, its genesis really dates back well into 2017, and I wish I could say there was a seminal moment where it struck me, but I guess it's more fitting that South of Two Degrees was born not from a spark, but from a series of conversations, all firmly rooted in Australia. One bit came from chatting with a friend while paddleboarding on an incredible and gorgeous day, while another came over sipping coffee with a group of the most knowledgeable women I've ever known. And yet several more came from sailing around the southeastern part of the continent as well as all over Port Phillip Bay with some of the best mates anyone could ever hope to have. You see, each one of those conversations acted as if I had been handed a few small puzzle pieces. I collected them, stored them away, but it wasn't until I began to pick up on a connectedness between them that I ever thought to sit down and see if putting all those pieces from all those conversations together made sense. When I did, though, I was surprised at how the bigger picture took shape, and to me, that picture was plain as day. I saw the problem, the one we've discussed often on this show that there was a disconnect between the scientific community and society at large, not just in access, but in translation, and not just put into layman's terms, but leveraging the social sciences and the power of a narrative as well. I saw how it could be addressed, not solved, as that's far beyond my meager powers, but addressed in my own small way. Tack onto that several thousand hours of research, putting together an international team, and dusting off some lessons I learned in my very first job at a small-town radio station. Shout out to my then-boss and mentor, Steve Daniels. And you land right here, in this very moment, a moment where South of Two Degrees is one year old, has reached 55 countries and 704 cities around the world. 
And whether you are our single steadfast listener in Botswana or part of the masses in Melbourne, where we have more listeners than in any other city, or somewhere in between, know that we here at South of Two Degrees appreciate you. Now, when you look back across this past year, the breadth of what we've covered is sometimes hard to believe, if I'm being honest. From the basics of what is anthropogenic climate change to understanding the social constructs that underpin our ability to communicate on the subject. From climate economics and sustainable fisheries to dynamic global vegetation models and zombie fires. It's been a fun journey and I think it will only continue to get better. It's the commitment of South of Two Degrees and especially myself on this show to continue to bring peer-reviewed and responsibly published research to you while elevating the hardworking scientists to the spot they richly deserve. And speaking of a massive amount of information, the amount of news that came out of Earth Day this year is mind-boggling. So I thought that this week I'd do a roundup of some of the most interesting and promising news. And I know this is a deviation from our usual scientific research focus, but you know, sometimes it's Good to take stock of where we are and where we're going. The big news comes from the Climate Summit, hosted by U.S. President Biden. And yes, I know there has been a ton of coverage on this, so I'll just hit the highlights. The two main items of note are that, broadly speaking, the world is starting to take anthropogenic climate change more seriously and adjusting targets accordingly. But also, that the U.S. is very much back in the game after taking, well, shall we say, a four-year hiatus to focus on our tweeting. More specifically, here is a quick highlight of the new targets announced at the summit or the run-up to it. The U.S. announced it'll cut emissions by 50 to 52% of 2005 levels by 2025. The U.K. announced it'll cut emissions by 78% of 1990 levels by 2030. Japan announced it'll cut emissions by 46 to 50% of 2013 levels by 2030. And Canada announced it'll cut emissions by 40 to 45% of 2005 levels by 2030. South Africa announced it'll cut emissions by 28% of 2015 levels by 2030. The EU announced it'll cut emissions by 55% of 1990 levels by 2030. And Brazil didn't set any new targets, but announced it will end illegal deforestation by 2030. South Korea didn't set new targets either, but announced it will end public finance of overseas coal plants. Mexico didn't set new targets, but announced it will plant 1 billion fruit trees by 2030. Saudi Arabia didn't set new targets either, but announced it will source 50% of its energy from renewables by 2030. Now, China, India, and Russia all reaffirmed previous targets and reiterated their commitment to fighting anthropogenic climate change. Now, an interesting aside, Taiwan, while not part of the summit, and I won't dive into the geopolitical issues between them and China, announced its own goals and said it plans to reach net zero by 2050 as they can't afford to fall behind in the global effort to reduce emissions. How does this play out, you ask? Well, we'll have to see, but no matter national ties, I personally welcome anyone willing to commit resources to the fight. Now, some of you may still be hung up on what the U.S. announced and asking how the U.S. can get there. Well, according to the EPA, the U.S. emitted carbon emission equivalents of 6.558 
billion metric tons in 2019. Its two largest sources are the transportation and power sectors, which respectively accounted for 29 and 25% of the 2019 total. Now, in 2020, the U.S. got 40% of its energy from renewables and nuclear. If that's doubled to 80%, then that gets the U.S. halfway there. That would be a stretch and require incentives for sure, but it is achievable. The other big move would be tightening federal fuel standards, and that's something the Biden administration has hinted it will announce more of in July. Okay, so that's the news everyone knew about. There is a chance that the only thing you got out of that last bit is that there is no standard target and every country has these crazy convoluted pathways. So instead of grinding the data on that today, how about some other items of note? Well, let's kick this round off with New Zealand. They announced a new satellite to be launched next year to track methane emissions. You see, there are 6.3 million head of cattle in New Zealand, and ag is one of its biggest greenhouse gas emitting sectors. It makes up 43% of its total greenhouse gases and 80% of its methane. Now, the new satellite, which only weighs 350 kilograms, will allow them to track changes in their methane emissions. It's not geosynchronous, so it'll see a lot more than just the tiny island nation, which is why they have partnered with a team at Harvard who will track CH4 emissions of oil and gas in the U.S. Although I applaud this move, the marketing person for this initiative needs some coffee or something because the name of this great new satellite, well, it's called MethaneSat. Sure, it's descriptive, but the marketer in me just says that's damn lazy. Continuing around the globe, there is an interesting announcement from an organization that you wouldn't really expect me making one on Earth Day, and that was NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg. He said that climate change is, quote, a defining challenge for our generation and a crisis multiplier, and it is, quote, making the world a more dangerous place. Okay, so not so profound, you say. Well, he went on to mention that NATO should set the gold standard in addressing climate change, that they should leverage their capabilities to monitor and track it, and that they should share their data and that they would conduct an alliance-wide assessment in order to reduce military emissions. Now, to me at least, that's pretty cool. Several years back, I was asked to attend a NATO conference in Lithuania where I talked about some of the power generation capabilities of a product I ran the business unit for back when I was in the corporate world. Anyway, it was interesting as I had a chance to speak with an admiral from the Italian Navy who spoke of their Flotta Verde, or Green Fleet. It was a program they launched back in 2012 to find alternative fuels and reduce emissions. Since then, I haven't heard much come out of the military world for command-level changes, so this news from General Stoltenberg is something really cool and worth watching. Finally, on the world stage, the IMF, or International Monetary Fund if you've been living under a rock, Chief Kristalina Georgieva urged the G20 countries to adopt a carbon price floor as it is, quote, essential to combating climate change. She further stated, quote, focus on a minimum carbon price among a small group of large emitters could facilitate an agreement covering up to 80% of global emissions. She also encouraged green taxonomy and standardized reporting of climate-related financial risk to unlock trillions of dollars of needed private investments. Now, there are a lot of implications here, but to avoid making your brain go numb and you tuning me out, I'll just leave you with her comments for now. (laughs) 
Okay, you're probably wondering why I just laughed there, but as I was thinking about the next quick topic, I was taken back by the brilliant marketer that named the methane sensing satellite, and I just have to tell you there is actually a worse marketer out there, and I mean a lot worse. If I told you there was a program that is called Toilets to Taps, how excited would you be? Sounds delicious, right? Well, that program actually exists, although to be fair, it obviously had a second and much more talented marker come on board and dub it Showers to Flowers. Now, that sounds like something you can get behind. Now, what I'm talking about here is an aggressive but fascinating plan announced by the LA Water Treatment Facility, which is the largest in the U.S., You see, L.A. buys water from the Colorado River, but the river's drying up, which leaves L.A. in quite the conundrum. Currently, L.A. dumps 225 million gallons of treated wastewater into the Pacific Ocean every single day, while their new goal is to recycle that water, or upwards of 80% of it, and turn it into L.A.'s drinking water, and they plan to do this by 2035. Now, from a climate perspective... I want to applaud this as one of the best pieces of news I heard on Earth Day. But the marketer in me is really fascinated by how the public information campaign will go. Yet another thing to watch for sure. Oh, and while we're on the subject of drinking, shall we say, interesting things, let's move to another announcement, but this time centered around beer. While I honestly detest the consumer celebration of Earth Day, I'll make a quick exception here as it's unique And it fits in. So New Belgium Brewing, famous for their fat tire amber ale, recently had their amber ale certified as the world's first carbon neutral beer. On top of that, they announced that by 2030, they would achieve carbon neutrality for their entire operations. In fact, their CEO, Steve Feshimer, uses the phrase last call when referring to business needs to address climate change across industries. He said, quote, a failure to act immediately will make resources more expensive, government regulation more restrictive, and the value chain more vulnerable to disruptions, end quote. While this normally wouldn't make my list of interesting news, they did an interesting thing along with it. They decided to release a new beer called Torched Earth to highlight what beer might taste like in a future affected by anthropogenic climate change. To do so, they used smoke-infused water, drought-resistant grains, shelf-stable extracts, and dandelion weeds. Sound good? Well, their announcement said, quote, while technically a beer, it's not great. And while I haven't had the opportunity to try it, my favorite quote about it was, if this is what the future of beer will taste like, I'll probably drink a lot less beer. Now, on a quick aside, if you want to dive deeper into this subject, a mate of mine, Jeremy Casebeer, who is a pro athlete that's using his platform to address climate change, just launched a new podcast on Spotify on Earth Day called Our Impact. And in his first episode, he interviews Katie Wallace, who just so happens to be the director of social and environmental impact at New Belgium Brewing. Anyway, I love to support new podcasters, especially those addressing anthropogenic climate change, so be sure to go check out Our Impact. Another exciting announcement came from Elon Musk on Earth Day, where he pledged $100 million U.S. million in prize money for developing carbon capture systems for the atmosphere and the ocean. And before you go, Brian, whoa, he announced that in January. You are way behind. 
know that, yes, he did, but yesterday he announced the rules. The competition will last for four years, closing on Earth Day 2025, and any submission must address both cost and scalability. The prize is targeted at a system that will pull out about 1,000 tons of CO2 per year, but with the ability to scale. You see, there are some systems out there, but none have been proven to be scalable and costs run at about $300 per ton. When you realize the world emits approximately 50 billion tons of CO2 equivalent a year, simple math tells you that just currently isn't manageable. I'll end with three quick items of note that also got announced yesterday. First, the city of New York filed a lawsuit against Exxon, BP, Shell, and the American Petroleum Institute, claiming that big oil allegedly, and we need to say allegedly because the courts haven't heard the case yet, misled consumers about climate change and their impact on it. Similar cases have been dismissed in U.S. courts, but this one is using similar arguments as those used when suits were filed against big tobacco, so it's worth watching. Second, is NASA's Earth Science Program just received a 12.5% budget increase for the 2022 fiscal year, with specific guidance that the funds would be used, quote, to initiate the next generation of Earth-observing satellites to study pressing climate science questions, end quote. Beyond that, well, is vague, but worth highlighting as NASA has long been a source of phenomenal research on anthropogenic climate change. Finally, some great news came out of Scotland on Earth Day. The world's most powerful tidal turbine, weighing in at 680 metric tons and capable of producing 2 megawatts of electricity, was launched from the port of Dundee with a destination near the Orkney Islands, where it'll be connected to the Orkney-based European Marine Energy Center. Yet another free energy source in a sector that doesn't get a lot of attention. Now let me wrap up today by noting that Earth Day is many things. Consumerism and ESG reporting aside, it is most importantly a day that we marked specifically to take stock of the planet. How our children look on this day will be determined within this generation by our true commitment. We have serious work to do, but it is my honest hope that future generations look to Earth Day not as a memorial, but rather a celebration of the rich diversity, wonder, and beauty of our planet, our home. It is, however, up to us in this moment to make sure Earth Day will be one of joy and thanks. And that wraps up not just another episode of South of Two Degrees, but our first year in filling a void no one else was addressing. I hope not only that you had an incredible Earth Day, but that you have gained something from the last year of work and love the South of Two Degrees team has put in purely to fuel your conversations. We love your support, feedback, and nothing makes us happier than hearing someone quote something they learned from this show. As always, aside from checking out all the latest information on our website, blog, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show in the next week. Have at least one conversation about climate change with someone else. And above all, let's make this year the year we made sure to keep it south of two degrees. <laughs>